Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that would be my prayer, that your word, the Bible, Scripture, as it goes out today, goes out to the places of our lives, the concerns we carry, the aches we ache, the joys we know, the faith we have, the doubts we carry, the questions that abound, that, that your word that goes out today to the place where we are would return not empty. In your name we pray. Amen. Have any of you heard of something known as the last lecture? None of you? Okay, Steve Coach Smith has heard of the... Uh, the last lectures originated in academic environments, institutions of higher learning, where a retiring professor would offer sort of the summation of their work before they uh, went south for the winter. Uh, it was popularized by a 2007 book by a man named Randy Pausch titled The Last Lecture, who, in an academic environment himself, just before he offered his last lecture, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was given one year to live. So he shifted it from the summation of his academic work to more of a testimony. If you know you only have a little while, what would you want people to know? What would you say? On Friday, I was up at the pillar, over at the Pillars Men's Retreat at Bay Point Inn in Gun Lake, uh, on Gun Lake. Uh, like 30-some guys from Pillar. It was awesome. Jerry Root, not the local one, but the one from Wheaton, who's a world-renowned C.S. Lewis scholar, was sort of facilitating the conversation. Uh, he suggested that C.S. Lewis, three weeks before he died, received a letter from a young girl, and he wrote her back. Uh, and this is what he wrote in the letter. If you continue to love Jesus, uh, this, by the way, is the last written word we have from C.S. Lewis. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much will go wrong with you, and I pray you continue to do so. You kind of lean in a little bit when you know it's the last thing he wrote, right? C.S. Lewis prays, writes, if you continue to love Jesus. That's his last lecture, so to speak. Billy Graham died this week. 99 years of life and millions of people heard the gospel because Billy Graham spoke it. A couple of years ago, he, he recorded what he intended to be his last lecture. God loves you. Can you hear it? I can still see the Magnavox TV in our home with the twist dial. I can see Billy Graham in black and white. God loves you. God loves you, and he can make a difference in your life if you will let him. God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for your sins. When we open our hearts to Christ, he forgives our sins and comes to live within us by his Holy Spirit. He also gives us strength for the present and hope for the future. You lean in a little bit, don't you? When you know it's the last thing Billy Graham wanted heard? It's his last lecture, sort of. Uh, John's Gospel, nearly a full third of it is devoted to Jesus' last lecture, sort of, if you can call it that. Jesus at the table 
with his disciples. Jesus with the cross right in front of him. Jesus with the grave right around the corner and death knocking at the door. Jesus prays. This morning, I want us to eavesdrop on Jesus in prayer. The prayer he prays when the end is near. You kind of lean in a little bit, don't you? We'll eavesdrop on Jesus in prayer in just a minute, but you can see my friends are still standing here. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, so, so last week, um, I offered a Lenten challenge. I threw it down. Remember that? Who remembers the challenge? All right. I, I challenge you to memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. There's 121 words in those six verses. You still have like 35. Four days to memorize it. You can do it. You should do it. You need to do it. Do it. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. I want you to memorize it, and then I want you to do something because it told you to. The self-emptying Christ, the Christ who goes the way of humility, the Christ who goes the way of obedience, get it inside of you and then do something. I can't tell you what it's going to be. You can tell me what it was, though, when you do it. That's, what I want. That's the third thing I want you to do. I want you to share what you did. Share it with me via email or a friend over coffee. Share it by writing, singing, painting, drawing. Just share it. Not as an act of bragging. That would be contradictory to the purposes of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But rather pointing to the one, Jesus, who emptied himself. So last week I gave the challenge, and my friend Miranda junior at Hope College, who is absolutely awesome, took the challenge and wrote a song. She wrote a song on Sunday. And I thought it would be worth our time to sing it. And then we're going to send it to you later this week so that you can use her melody to get Philippians 2, 5 through 11 into the lining of your being. Okay, it'll help you. Uh, so there, uh, I don't have my worship folder, but I think it's Somewhere in there, on page five maybe, is the chorus of the song. Page four is the chorus of the song Miranda wrote. You can join them at that point.
awesome? She wrote that. When I told her it'd be cool if we sang it, uh, she said something like, wow, I've got to call my dad. (laughs) No, I want you to eavesdrop with me on Jesus in prayer. The cross is just, I mean, it's right there. It's right in front of him. The grave, it's right around the corner. Death is knocking at the door. And Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all people to give eternal life to those whom you've given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world existed. I made your name known to all whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. 
And now they know everything you've given to me came from you. The word you gave me, I've given to them. And they've received it. And know in truth I came from you. And have believed that you sent me. I'm, I'm praying on their behalf. I'm not praying on behalf of the world. I'm asking on behalf of those you gave me. For they're yours. All mine is yours. And yours is mine. And I've been glorified in them. And now I'm no longer in the world. But they are in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me. That they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. And none of them was lost except the one who was destined to be lost so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And I'm coming to you. And I'm speaking these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I gave them your word and the world hated them because they were not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. Just as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. For their sakes I've sanctified myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I'm asking not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of those who will believe because of their word, that they may be one. As I, Father, am in you, and you in me, may they also be in us, so that the world may know you have sent me. The glory you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one. I in them, you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may believe that you've sent me and have loved them with a love with which you loved me. I desire also that the ones you gave me will be with me where I am, that they may see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, as I am in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John 17, if you want to find it, in a Bible near you. Judas has already gone out. Uh, the deal has been made. The price has been set. He's already with the Roman rank who would arrest him and beat him and kill him. And Jesus knows it. And he prays. And this is his prayer. You kind of lean in a little bit, don't you, when you know this is... The end is near. Jesus prays because eternity matters. He prays because you matter. He prays because the world matters. He prays because unity matters. And then we'll come to the table.
Jesus prays because eternity matters. Uh, There's been an important and necessary shift in theological focus over the last bunch of years uh, from God's purposes on our lives for eternity to God's purposes on our lives now, here, today, Tuesday, or, you know, wherever you are. There's a necessary and important shift in focus from this idea that we're, we're, we're just biding our time until we get off of this terrestrial ball before the planet implodes. But rather, the kingdom of God happens among us. The kingdom of God is near. It's necessary and important, and I'm all for it, but we can't forget also eternity matters. There's something more than here and now. There's something still to come. And Jesus, with just hours left in his life, prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus, with hours left to live, prays about eternity. I guess it makes sense, right? You know, when, 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 the, when the end is near, you tend to think about what's next. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Intimacy with God, he prays. God available, he asks. Which makes sense, you know. When God made the world in the very beginning, uh, which Jesus invites us to remember, uh, you remember, remember the refrain that happens in the Genesis 1 creation account? You remember how that goes? What's the, what's the constant refrain? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then something bad happens. Something sad happens. Something really, really tragic happens. And the world gets sent spiraling into chaos, spiraling into sin. And the first thing the the man and the woman do, you know what the first thing they do? We're really good at it. They hide. They hide. We'll get to that in a minute. You know the first thing God does? God shows up. Not yelling angrily, not shouting mad. God shows up and cries out, where are you? Where'd you go? And that question has been tumbling down time. Gets picked up by Christ who who lays it on his shoulders, carries the weight of it to the cross, suffers and dies for the forgiveness of sins, rises from the dead to say, there you are. I know you. Intimacy with God, God available, God present, God with you. Jesus prays because eternity matters. And he prays because you matter. You, you. Like in these wooden pews at Pillar, Jesus prayed for you. Did you hear that? Listen, I mean, I'll read it. I'm not making this up. Verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. I mean, I'm not like the greatest Bible scholar in the world, but I'm pretty sure that's you who will believe. 
Mark, you know, and Eric, and Catherine, and Zach, and Anders, you, you and all your you-iness, you with your aches and your pains and your ups and your downs, your loves and your losses, your isolations and your togetherness, you, he prays for you because you matter. Try that on for size. Go home now. Man, I, I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, on Wednesday, we gathered this week here in the sanctuary. Uh, it was 10 a.m. We gathered to give thanks for the life and celebrate the death of Roxanne DeRue. Uh, 62 years old, diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's about four and a half years earlier. This was, I mean, this is sacred space. And you could feel it on Wednesday. I mean, you could touch it. You could hold it. That's how sacred it was. Um, uh, Mark and Roxanne's kids, Ingrid, Hillary, and Taylor, they all shared testimony. It was overwhelming. Mark did too. Mark, Roxanne's husband, shared. It was, um, it was amazing. Uh, he shared a story on Wednesday that is too good not to be shared again. And I have his permission to share it. Uh, remember last January, that really warm day? Yeah, the one. <laughs> that one. Uh, Mark and Roxanne took a bike ride. Tandem bike, because she could no longer ride a bike on her own, so Mark had to steer and pedal. Uh, they went to LJ's, they grabbed a cup of coffee, and then they sat on the steps just outside of this door, where it's really warm when the sun shines. They sat there. Mark confessed to us on Wednesday morning that through this journey with Alzheimer's, he wondered, does God care? Does God really care? Anybody ever? Mark wondered, does God even know my name? So they grabbed a cup of coffee. They sat on these steps right here. And Mark asked Roxanne flirtatiously, do you love me? And she said, yes. Paused for about 15 seconds and then said, Jesus. Mark was a bit confused. She paused for another 15, 20 seconds or so. And she said, he knows your name. And Mark started to weep. And Roxanne, Alzheimer's in tow, wiped every tear from his eye. He knows your name. You matter. You with whatever it is that's going on, you matter. You with whatever ache aches and whatever hurt hurts and whatever depression haunts and temptation hounds, you matter. I pray not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of those who will believe because of their word. That's you in the wooden pews at Pillar Church 2018. Jesus prays because eternity matters. He prays because you matter. He prays because the world matters. The world matters. You get this sense there's this sort of on-again, off-again relationship with, between Jesus and the world. Uh, verse 6, I've made known your name to those whom you gave me from the world. Verse 9, I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world. Uh, verse 
15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Verse 16, they do not belong to the world. You get the sense Jesus has this on again, maybe keep it at arm's length sort of relationship with the world. Maybe we should take his cue, you know, like maybe not everything in the world is all right. Maybe not everything's okay. Maybe not everything's to be condoned and embraced. Maybe not everything is to be normalized. But then again, Jesus seems to have this heart for the world. As you've sent me into the world, for God so loved the world. As you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. The glory that you've given me, I've given them so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be completely one so that the world may know. Poor sweet little one. Oh, I hope it's not Ava. <laughs> Jesus prays because the world matters. You in the world matter. You pursuing God's good purposes in the world because the world matters. You caring for your neighbor. You loving your enemy. You praying for those who persecute you in whatever version of persecution that takes because the world matters. There's been a movement in the last like little while called the missional church movement. Um, sort of awakened the church to the reality that just the comfortability of our lives on a Sunday morning is not the point of the gospel. God has uh, bigger eyes. Uh, simply putting a building on the corner is not evangelism. I mean, it kind of used to work that way, but the 60s happened, and the 70s took place, and then buildings on corners just weren't sufficient, and, and, and the church became increasingly small in the rearview mirror of a secularizing world. So this missional church movement emerged, uh, calling the church to its truest identity, belonging to Christ and sent into the world. That's who we are. That's what we do. And there can be no church outside of that. Guys like Christopher Wright, missional church theologians, say things like, God does not have a mission for his church, but a church for his mission. You tracking with that? It's who we are. It's what we do. Just as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world to pursue God's good purposes here, now, among us. Christ prays because the world matters. Christ prays because unity matters. How many times does Jesus, with hours left, pray one, 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 that they may be one as I am in you and you in me. May they be in us. May they be completely one. Apparently, the unity of the church is something more to Christ than merely a couple of us who think alike and act alike and look alike and talk alike getting along on Sundays. But rather, a call on our lives to cross the difficult distance, to go the difficult way, because unity matters. Uh, Leslie Newbegin wrote a book. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India for 40 years. He wrote a book titled The Household of God, and this is what he writes. I mean, if there are seat belts, I'd recommend fastening them at this point. 
The church's unity is the sign and instrument of the salvation which Christ has wrought and whose end is the summing up of all things to Christ. That's the good news. Now, insofar as the church is disunited, her life is a direct and public contradiction of the gospel. Insofar as the church is disunited, her life is a direct and public contradiction of the gospel. Maybe, maybe the unity of the church is more than just a happy singing kumbaya around the bonfire. Maybe it's more than just getting along with those we like. Which is kind of why I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of Pillar. I mean, we're not the be-all, end-all. You can be sure of that. But this duly affiliated existence between the RCA and the CRC, a small, small, like, small expression of the unity that's on God's heart for the world. We're not just changing church furniture around. We're pursuing God's heart for the church that they may be one, completely one. I in them and you in me and they in us. Whoa. I got an email on Thursday of this week. It was one of those uh, Facebook emails that tells me someone tagged me in a post. I avoid Facebook. It kind of makes me nauseous. Uh, but when you're tagged in a post, you find it, especially when the tagger is Todd Billings. Do you know Todd Billings? Todd Billings is a professor at Western Seminary just down the road. He's crazy smart, like Harvard PhD smart. Uh, wrote book. I mean, he writes books, but, and they get published, and people read them. Um, one just came out this last week. Um, it's a good read. Uh, Todd's married to Rachel. She has a PhD, too. <laughs> She's, like, crazy smart. Uh, they have two young kids, Nettie and Nathaniel. Have, do you know Todd? and Rachel and their kids. Um, about four years ago, four and a half, five years ago, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, an incurable cancer. Um, mostly diagnosed in people later in life, so the life expectancy is around two or three years. But with Todd being diagnosed at 37, they weren't sure what the journey would look like. Um, he was going to go in for a stem cell transplant, basically uh, lower the body's threshold to fight disease to its absolute lowest, re-inject the stem cells that they had removed in order to then, as they bring him back to life, essentially, uh, fight the cancer. That, that's the idea. Uh, and as part of that process, you lose your hair. So a bunch of folks at the seminary, uh, a bunch of guys and one girl, shaved their heads in solidarity with Todd. Here, here's the uh, Facebook email I got on Thursday from Todd. Wow. Four years ago today, my brothers and sister showed stunning solidarity as I prepared for my stem cell transplant with a month in the hospital, shaving their heads in solidarity as I had my own head shaved in the hospital, still grateful for their prayerful solidarity. That's it. People willing to go 
the way with one another, the hard way with one another, to go the long journey with one, one another, not just Todd with cancer, but for each other, with each other, behind each other, that they may be completely one. I in them and you in me, that they may be in us. We go the long road with one another because Christ went the long road. Christ emptied himself. Christ humbled himself. Christ became obedient even to death, death on a cross, so that we may be one. So I want you to come to the table today. I want you to eat the bread broken and blessed and drink from the cup poured out. To meet the one who loves you so that we might be in him as he is in us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless you for your word, the word written, the Bible, and the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, made flesh for us and for our salvation. Christ, who was willing to go the long, hard road, the self-emptying way of humility, way of obedience, even death, so that we might have life and have it in abundance. And we, in turn, Lord, offer our lives. We, we, dare, we dare empty ourselves and humble ourselves and go the way of the cross for the world that they may know you, Christ. Meet us at the table, that we might be in you even as you are in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.